0: My name is Ryan Miner. I am your host of a Minor Detail Radio podcast, where the minor details of every story matter. Each week, I talk to Maryland newsmakers, from elected officials, journalists, political candidates, to policy wonks and everyday Marylanders. A Minor Detail podcast is the fusion between Maryland news and politics, real people, real stories, honest conversation. You can also follow us on the web at aminordetail.com. Sit back, relax, relax. And have fun. How you want to be on? All right, everybody. Welcome to a special Halloween edition of A Minor Detail. It will be scary as all get out. Maybe scary, entertaining. I have with me, yes, you guessed it, the indomitable, unassailable, unshakable, unconquerable, invincible, unsinkable, Len Foxwell. Len, welcome.
1: Ryan, it is an honor and a privilege, sir, to be back on your podcast.
0: Well, you are a constant figure. People have been looking forward to this. All day, ever since we first, well, actually, we first announced that we were going to do a podcast uh, on this election season a couple of days ago, and a lot has happened. But first, let me wish you a very happy Halloween, Lynn, and I have a a special song for you and for all those trick-or-treaters. Hold on just one second. Oh, boy. There we go. See if it plays... My monster from his slab began to rise and suddenly to my All right, that's enough of that. Um, so did you guys I don't know do what some to say, my friend. Yeah, that was uh it's been so... a great
1: it's been a great Halloween over here on the Eastern Shore I'm, uh, I have eaten more Tootsie rolls and miniature milk duds uh, than I than I ever thought uh, ever thought possible certainly than I would have imagined advisable. And I've also maybe had a black wing or two to wash it down. So it's been a good mm. Halloween. I've given out a lot of candy and what a great way to end up the evening, as well as a great way to bring the uh, election season of 2018 in for a soft landing.
0: Lynn, first, before we get started into the crux of our discussion, I I want to give you um, major props and to say sincerely thank you for Um, orchestrating and organizing uh, Maryland Comptroller Peter Francho's visit to our small business in Rockville. As a startup company, I think we are doing some really good things for the community, for veterans, for um, our senior citizens. And let me tell you, when the Comptroller came to meet our staff, he really had a blast. And he was there a short time. He shook some hands and it was such a memorable opportunity and never before in my life have I pre- been presented with a coin and he presented my boss with a coin and he, he offered me one and said some really kind things. So Lynn, I, I just cannot thank you enough.
1: Well, Ryan, it was, it was, a, it was his pleasure. and It was my pleasure to help uh, get it on the comptroller's calendar. I will say just a couple of things in response to that. One, small businesses are the cornerstone and they're the future of the Maryland economy. Uh, it, it, we spend an awful lot of time in this state going after the big corporate juggernauts, but it's those small, those small locally owned independent businesses that are, that are built on ingenuity and survival and innovation. That's the future of our knowledge-based economy. And what you're doing, what you're doing there in Rockville, uh, it's a veteran-owned small business, you're yep. looking for ways to put more veterans into the workforce. It's not only yeah. it's not only economically pragmatic; it's socially responsible. Not only Comptroller friendship, but every elected official who is a stakeholder in the success of our state's economy and business reputation should be paying a visit. Ryan, I'll well, also say, um, you know, since we're complimenting each other. All of us that are listening this evening owe you a debt of gratitude uh, from, from the start of this election season, right on through to this evening, you have constantly been out there hitting the pavement, breaking stories, holding elected officials accountable and disrupting the machine that had never been questioned <laughs> like this before. And um, all of us who are consumers of politics and government were in your debt, pal. So thank you. Wow.
0: That means a lot. Um, people should, in Maryland, should remember uh that I'm a one man shop um have worked really hard to uh to 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 build this up and um sometimes I don't always get it right and I've had a lot of some good counseling from some really consummate professionals and uh gotta tell you uh I had a lot of fun this election season it's gonna continue. Good things in the works in 2019, but uh, we, I do this because it's fun. I don't make money doing this. Uh, Maybe one day we can find a funding formula, but uh, I've had a lot of fun talking to state leaders. I've had time. um, I've made the effort to get to know as much as possible about this election, about the candidates, about them personally, because we could talk policy and we could really get into the, the, the meat and potatoes of the different element of the candidates platforms and why they are running. But oftentimes I like to extrapolate the personal of who they are as individuals, who they are as people. And I think that this show is a resource for that. And I got to tell you, people like Josh Kurtz over at Maryland matters, they're doing a great job too. Uh, the empower Maryland podcast uh, center, Maryland, Damien O'Dargety. Those guys are, they're tearing it up. I wish I had more time to dedicate it. dedicate to a minor detail but in 2019 there's some big things happening so um Lynn you know without you too and especially getting to know you this past summer um we've had some really unique opportunities to talk directly to Marylanders and have good conversations about especially at the Tall's event I thought that was a great opportunity to talk about what's really going on in Maryland politics.
1: That was so much fun, and I think back to our primary election night analysis oh, on yeah. uh, taped wet broadcast from Wet City in downtown oh, Baltimore. And we, you had some you had some audio challenges that night because uh, <laughs> it was a pretty loud bar we were in. But boy, I'll tell you, what was not a challenge was having fun, and um, I still think of that as one of the highlights of the evening, especially or one of the highlights of the. Entire election cycle, and I was standing next to you when I found out that Mary Washington, a dear friend of mine, and somebody who I believe uh, embodies a better future in our political process, uh, it was found out that she had actually upset veteran Senator John Carter Conway to take that forty-third district Senate seat. And I can't tell you how long it's been since I've been that happy watching election returns circle yeah. in. so I remember it's been that. Memorable for all the right reasons the
0: summer. Well I remember that so. it, we. You, I remember you said hey I gotta go over this uh, well you went over to another election party over in Baltimore City but you know we have a lot to talk about. November the 6th is election day there's one more day of early voting that's tomorrow. It ends tomorrow. They've had pretty good turnout from what I've been, what I have been reading. The it uh, looks like there's some good turnout all over the state. Promising. We want people to get out and vote. I voted early. Sometimes I wait until election day. Sometimes I vote early. I knew who I was voting for this time, and I walked in and did it last Friday evening. Um, but Len, you know, before we really get into the candidates, the races, I want to I want to talk very briefly and only spend a few minutes on this. But I have been disappointed by some of what I have been reading on social media and it's really only emanating from social media. There's a lot of partisanship. There's a lot of nastiness and something that I saw the other day when we talked about it was uh, somebody named Christina Ginsburg, who's very active in politics. Lynn, I saw that status and I, I mean this, it broke my heart. This. She said something on the lines of, if you vote for a Republican, um, and if you basically uh vote for Republicans, support Republicans, you are helping Trump, and uh you and 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 she lumped in Larry Hogan and comptroller Peter Francho as helping the Pittsburgh synagogue gunman as pulling the trigger, and I thought that that was one of the most disgusting things I have ever seen in my life, and this is a person who's connected to some top campaigns. She claims she's not, but she's still out there actively campaigning. She's the treasurer for a political action committee. And then we call out that speech. Suddenly we become bullies, and I, I fundamentally disagree with that statement. But I'm I'm disheartened, Lynn, by the tone of this campaign in the final days. And always gets weird before the end of the campaign. Leading up to it, the last two weeks, you're gonna you always see some truly weird stuff coming from the heart of the partisans. But Lynn, that really set me That set me off. It upset me so much. I got to tell you.
1: Yeah. And a very wise person once said not that long ago, that we have more communications platforms uh, in this moment in history than we ever have before. Yet we have lost the fundamental ability to communicate with one another as people. Mm -hmm. And I think there's something to be said for that. we, we hide behind the relative anonymity and the personal safety of a keyboard or a smartphone. And we feel liberated to say anything that we think will advance our cause, no matter how reckless, no matter how hurtful or irresponsible. Mm -hmm. And at some point uh, the bomb throwing just has to stop. And I mean, it's okay to have, you know, it's, it's okay to, it's okay to disagree. It's okay to have, it's okay to participate in the rough and tumble of politics and, Politics is a competitive sport, and we've both done it for a very long time. But uh, I've seen it more often this year than ever before, where the, the the nature of the rhetoric just crosses a line. And you're right; the, the example you cited is there were several lines crossed there. And it's per, it's bothersome to me because what this person said was, if you've ever voted for any Republicans,
0: we, look, yeah,
1: we don't. don't Peter Francher doesn't agree with every single thing. Larry Hogan has ever said or done. Um, no, you know, that's just natural. But 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 to equate but to equate Larry Hogan to some of the darker impulses that, that we see within his party, and to equate support for Hogan, which Peter's not doing. He's he's neutral in that governor's race officially. But to insinuate that support for Governor Hogan or any other Republican, be it a county councilman or a registered wills or a sheriff. Is tantamount to pulling the trigger and, and enabling an act of mass murder. Um, you just don't know what to say. You just got to you got to shake your head and realize that we're that our democracy is being challenged right now in a very serious way, and the and the rubber band is being stretched about as far as it can go without breaking. Well, um, and that's I, really I, I, one thing. I, that's one thing I love about my boss. Not to t- turn this into a promotion for Peter Franco, but. He has so so often over the course of the past few years managed to transcend that partisan divide and not focus on those areas where he may disagree with Governor Hogan or members of the opposite party in the legislature or county executives, but to find those find those areas of consensus and to build on those and come to a course of action where we can meet in the middle and get something done. I think it's a long path forward in our political system.
0: Well, I'll tell you, there's a you know you have people out there who are on the partisan extremes living in montgomery county my eyes have been open hey i'm just a you know look i'm a country boy from washington county and you know i grew up in the city of hagerstown to working class people and we didn't come from much but we worked hard for everything that we have i was lucky enough to go to college found a wonderful woman married her and here we are uh making a life in montgomery county and listen i i cross parties all the time and you know, I get it from the left. They say Miner is a right wing apologist. I had somebody say that that I'm nothing but a, a right wing apologist. They they had to unsubscribe from my blog, which is truly straight news. Lynn. I mean, I cover some basic straight news in Maryland, and they couldn't read it because um, you know, it's just uh, it, it's just interesting. And then you got the right wing attacking me. Um, that I'm a anti-Trump, which is true. I can't stand the president. I think that he's one of the worst things that's ever happened to this country. I'm on record as saying that, and I think that he's a destructive force um, on both civility and on policy. But you know, I had people the other day just you know, trashing me up and down uh, the internet because I'm a slight probably to the center than they are. I mean, you got like Ed Fleischman of this Our Revolution group, and these guys just can't handle it. I've seen it. It's it's weird. They exhibit some really weird characteristics and if you're not on their team, 100% Lynn, they will push you overboard and it is it is gross some of the stuff I've witnessed on this 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 campaign and I I hope it changes. I'm confident that it will. I'm an eternal optimist, Lynn, and I'm thinking that one of these days uh the this political tone, this uh the way that we conduct ourselves it's something's going to break and uh, maybe we'll get back to the center where I think most people are in this country. Uh,
1: I think, I think if you, I think if you alien, I, I think if you run afoul of the Christina Ginsburg on Christina Ginsburg, so the world on one end of the political spectrum and some of the, you know, some of the alt-right folks on the other end of the political spectrum uh, and just focus on the 90% of, you know, sensible, responsible Marylanders who are just going to work every day, trying to put food on the table, put some money aside for college, for a safe and secure retirement, solutions to everyday challenges, Ryan, I think you're going to be okay. And that's exactly what I've seen you do, doing for the, past, for the past year or so that I've been following you. So the only thing I can tell you as a friend is just keep doing what you've been doing, pal, because you are making a difference.
0: I hope so. And, you know, some days it's tougher than others because then people lob personal attacks at you. And I've let it, you know, it's like I I let it roll off my back and it it is what it is. But um, I have never had anything but strong convictions to make sure that my state, this state, our state um, is moving in, in a solid direction, whether that be with Republican leadership, Democrat leadership. And we know that we have a machine that we need to constantly challenge. And people who are comfortable in their ivory towers and Annapolis that are not challenged, that go along to get along and tow that party line, that is every bit of the problem with our politics today, not just at the national level, but here in Maryland. We see decision being made by a select few group of insiders in, in Annapolis, and we know it's been happening for 15, 20, 30 years, and it's time, as we say, hashtag disrupt the machine. And if anything that we can do is challenge the assumptions and bring the hard news to people and just tell <clears throat> the truth. Always tell the truth. So <laughs> Brian, that's what Brian, we're doing. Not only, not, only,
1: not only is machine politics the the wrong approach to building a better democracy, but it's also bad for the Democratic Party. And I'm a Democrat and I want to see a vibrant I want to see a vibrant Democratic Party of ideas. And think about where we are not in this the the first midterm election of Donald Trump, which is which is supposed to be and it's been billed in advance is a watershed moment for the Democratic Party. Here we are in this the bluest state in the Union in what is supposed to be a blue wave election our gubernatorial candidate faces the steepest of uphill climbs with, you know, virtually five days left until the until the election, and we have embattled senators us, like Kathy Klausmeier, good people, veteran lawmakers, having to run for re-election in tightly contested races, uh, running on the back not of not of the Democratic Party's leadership but on the back of Larry Hogan, and I look at that, and they're putting out mail with Larry Hogan and they're putting out <laughs> TV content. Kathy Klausmeier and Jim Mathias have, have worked with Governor Hogan to solve the op- op- opioid crisis or start school after Labor Day. And I'm looking at that and I'm thinking, my God, the Democratic machine in Annapolis, they haven't even given these people enough content to fill out a walk piece. This is what they're reduced to. Running on the back of a popular re- Republican governor, so not only not only on top of everything else, the machine is dying, and the machine has, has been pretty bloody and effective in this 2018 election cycle
0: but what's what gets me especially about some of the the state senate candidates that are running on the back of Larry Hogan and that's you know hey if that's a a crossover appeal is great I like bipartisanship I like talking about how state leaders work together and transcend the political divide. But let me tell you that uh, I have seen some really interesting stuff come out of these, these state Senate races. You've been following it. You know, it's funny how the state Senate candidates, they're putting on their literature all about, you know, solid good things about Larry Hogan, about how they work together, but then they'll go in front of different groups of Democrats and then trash the governor, um, you know, ways and sideways. It's amazing what I've been seeing. Brian,
1: my favorite thing I saw today was there was an interview that was that was conducted uh, for the Maryland Coast Dispatch, which is a weekly newspaper down in Ocean City, down in down in Jim Mathias, 38th legislative district, uh, over on the lower shore. And he told it, and Jim told this reporter that the that the idea to change to change the school starting date through an executive order and not by an act of the legislature, that that was his idea. And I don't know how else to say this, but that's 180% absolutely unconditionally wrong. Well, it's Absolutely false. That executive him. order idea came from, came from Peter Francho. Peter raised the idea with the governor. The governor, instantly, he really saw the appeal of it, liked the immediacy of it, and went for it, and Jim Mathias was never a part of that conversation. Mm.
0: So Amazing.
1: A, you see it a lot. In the clo- you're right. In the closing days of election, people tend to throw a lot of stuff against the wall and see what sticks. But folks like us, well, I think, still have an obligation to uh, call balls and strikes and try to maintain some uh, some allegiance and dedication to the facts.
0: Well, Jim Mathias is on that list of five that state republicans are targeting for the senate seat and i'll tell you he's got a formidable opponent down in that district which is covers ocean city and the lower shore jim mathias has been around for a long time and it's funny how he's it's interesting in the beginning of this race and i would classify the beginning as, you know really around after the primary you see a, a nice picture of Jim Mathias standing next to Ben Jealous, who's I think wearing a suit jacket or something, down in Ocean City standing on the boardwalk. And, you know, there they, there they are. But I bet you if you got Jim Mathias in a room and you said, hey, would you campaign alongside Ben Jealous tomorrow down there in Ocean City on the boardwalk? You and him can walk up and down and have a parade. I, be- I guarantee you he would be in Garrett County faster than you can count. Um, and that's just—it's weird. And he's one of—he's being targeted by uh, pretty heavily. Yeah. And Lynn, I think he has a pretty formidable opponent, and Mary Beth Carosa. She could—she could pull this out.
1: Yeah, she's—she's very—she's a very attractive candidate. She's a first-term delegate, but she's been in the political process for years, working on at both the federal and the state levels, and she worked most notably at the state level uh, as a deputy chief under uh, Bob Ehrlich during his term in office. And she's, she's smart. She's very credible. Uh, She is accomplished. Uh, She's, she's, she's more reserved as a matter of temperament than Jim is. Jim is a phenomenal campaigner. He's just been at it for so long. And he has a, he has a connection to the people of ocean city and to that district that really does transcend party labels. And I'll tell you, Mary Beth, might pull it out just because of the political environment this year. I'll tell you one thing. She's never going to outwork Jim Mathias. Uh, I, I I have never seen anybody hit the pavement harder with a greater sense of purpose than that man. That's going to be one of those races I, I keep my eye on um, as we head into Tuesday night. Uh, you, know, you mentioned the drive for five. That, yeah. one is a, that, is a, that is going to be a race between two talented, accomplished politicians Both of whom are capable of representing uh, the 38th with real distinction. Um, Sometimes you have these races where you have to pick the the lesser of two evils. I'd actually say the people down in the 38th have a pretty good choice, uh, two good choices to draw from, and we'll see how it turns out.
0: I think it's going to be close. Come up to Western Maryland just a bit, or even on the outskirts of Western Maryland, um, uh, the, you know, the arch to Western Maryland have been Frederick County's district three, longtime incumbent Democrat Senator Ron Young, who's been in politics for longer than I have been alive, I believe, whose family is invested in the Frederick community. Talk about a candidate who might be in jeopardy. Ron Young is facing off against a Republican challenger named Craig G. And Lynn, what I'm hearing on the ground is that this race is neck and neck it's a toss-up it could go either way and Ron Young has faced some yeah I believe back in 2014 Corey Stoudemire who nearly beat him and Corey even admittedly will tell you that he could have worked harder and that race if if he knocked on a few more doors that race could have easily swung a different way of course Senator Ron Young made his way into state office back in 2010 when he beat Alex Mooney, who then ultimately decided to pack up and leave Maryland and then run in West Virginia's second congressional district, and and hell, didn't he get elected back in 2000, and uh, I believe it was 14. Um, so yeah,
1: better, them than what, better them than us. Better them
0: than us. <laughs> better them than us. They can have them. Um, but yeah, that, that race between Ron Young and Craig Giagrande is one to keep your eye on, as well as you, the previously mentioned, Baltimore County's District 8 race between Kathy Klausmeier and then Republican Christian Meal. So I don't know what's going to happen, Lynn. What are you hearing in Baltimore?
1: Yeah, it's a lot of – at this point, in the absence of polling data, it's a lot of anecdotes. I think all three of the races you've mentioned, 38, yeah, you know, the Mealy-Klausmeier race, uh, Ron Young and Craig Grande in, in District 3, all of them uh, appear at this point to be very close. And I, I like I like the district eight race, that is a classic generational battle. Kathy has, Kathy is, she is as much the embodiment of the eighth legislative district uh, culturally, socially, as any lawmaker could be for his or her legislative district. Uh, but she represents what is, and I think Chris, Christian Neely to a lot of folks represents the a new rising professional and civic class of Baltimore County. He's a young guy with enormous potential. He's articulate. He's bright. He's energetic. He's a been moderate. And um, it's a question whether they're going to go for the tried and true or whether they're going to take a chance on the future. And that's going to be fascinating to watch. I'm looking at some of these early vote totals, you know, and I think the preferred narrative for my party was that early vote was going to be Indicative or an in early indication of of a blue wave that was that would wash through Maryland and settle a lot of these contested races, as you pointed out at the outset the numbers are way up um, you know and if, for example, in the Democratic Party with one day left, we've already seen four hundred and sixty nine thousand democratic votes cast around the state, and that's compared to just three hundred and seven thousand votes cast in all of 2014. Um, So the voting totals are way up. But if you actually look at the Democratic totals, percentage of the overall vote, Mm -hmm. it's held pretty much steady. Uh, 62% 62 of all votes cast have been Democrats this year compared to 64% in 2014. So, yes, Democratic vote is surging. But Republicans and unaffiliated voters are keeping pace as well. And so what really remains to be seen, and I think a lot of this is going to, this is what a lot of these races are going to come down to is, is early vote a, uh, is it is it a catalyst for a surge in voter activity or just a redistribution
0: of the electorate? And I'm well, not I going to
1: know that tonight. I,
0: I agree. And I think that early voting is still in the test phase. We don't have enough data to determine because the variables are constantly changing, and the variables, of course, are what's happening at the national election, and if this would have been a, let's just say, if John Kasich got elected over Donald Trump, I think you'd have a much, you know, a much different outcome. I mean, the last two years of the Trump administration has been a, a roller coaster ride for. The American people. Uh, and I think that Ben Jealous, and it's clear that he's banking on a national fervor to sweep in over Democrats and cause them to vote straight party ticket. But as we know consistently, and the data proves this, is that people don't mind splitting their ticket. They don't mind voting at the federal level for Democrats. But if there is a moderate popular governor like Larry Hogan, they're gonna they're gonna check that box next to him, Len. We keep seeing that over and over again that people are not afraid to split their vote.
1: Well, and you know, it's for all of our for our reputation in Maryland is the deepest of blue states, uh, dating back to the start of the centuries, dating back to 2000. If Larry Hogan were to win re-election, as virtually every polling captivity suggests he will. Uh, with some room to spare on Tuesday night, the Democrats will then be two and three in gubernatorial races since, since the turn of the century. They'll have won two and lost three. And this is on the heels of a 36 year winning streak prior to 2002, when we had complete unchecked control of the state house um, from 19, you know, from, uh, from, you know, from 66 or from 60 or from, um, from 1970 right on through to, uh, you know, to the Ehrlich Townsend race. So uh, Democrat, Republic, Democrats have given themselves permission in the state of Maryland intellectually to at least consider an alternative. And, Ryan, I'll say what it really comes down to is how are we going to respond if this ball gets hit to us on Tuesday night and we lose the governor's race and we do so decisively. How do we respond? Are we going to take this as an oper- Are we going to take this as a wake up call back to the hard work of expanding our core constituency and winning back market segments of the electorate that have drifted away from the party? Or are we going to double down on what we've been doing? And to me, the latter choice, which I think would be the preferred um, course of action among some of the more. Um, Strident uh, activists within the party. I think that would be a road to ruin. But I think we I think that's going to be. We're going to have. We're going to have some soul searching to do as a party in the aftermath of this election. I believe, and it's, and my boss plans to be a active part of that conversation. And I think that all of us who have a, who share a commitment to a robust two party system need to be a part of that conversation as well.
0: Your boss Peter Franco is one of the leading contenders for governor in 2022 alongside a few other names and I wrote a piece about this a couple of weeks ago and it was distributed and read well and I talked about some other up and coming statewide leaders um who are now you know either confined to their certain cities or certain areas of the state but who are going to burst out on the scene but Peter Franco should be the leading contender for the for the democrats in 2022 that is if ben jealous comes up short which i based on all indications and polling Lynn, we see that we see that mr jealous is could lose by double digits i think he might i think he's going to lose and i'm just going to make that prediction based on everything that i have seen i never got the sense Lynn, that his campaign caught fire in the places that it need to, plus the numerous self-inflicted gaps. I got to tell you, I'm just not convinced that he's there yet. I haven't seen that burst of i See people who tell me, Ryan, I talk to people all the time, and somebody told me yesterday, one of my colleagues, lifelong, a progressive Democrat, I would say, said, I just couldn't do it for Jealous. I couldn't do it. Hogan yep. was You
1: know, it's... Uh- it's it's uh, it's unfortunate because I will say I've had I've had limited interactions with Mr. Jealous, but I have spoken with him. I've gotten to know him a little bit, and what I'll actually say is he's a class act. And just as one example, and I know he's had some I know he's had some rhetorical gas and he's had a couple of stumbles, and it hasn't been a perfect campaign. But you know when when Peter when Peter made the point of remaining neutral in the gubernatorial race this fall. Uh, Ben could have made it hard for him. Ben could have really called attention to that and really t- turned up the heat and you know uh, tried to tried to generate some some political sympathy or some political capital by by rattling Peter's cage. And instead, he gave Peter space and he un- I think he understood more than more so than many of his supporters have why Peter made that decision. And uh, it goes back to the unique role of a member of the board of public works and the highly personal um, relationships that exist on that three person body. So we won't forget that. That said, politics is a profession like anything else. And uh, it's not easy breaking into politics at any level as an elected official, much less making your first run for office at a level as high as governor. And he's learning on the job and he's having to do it under some pretty bright lights and some pretty intense scrutiny. And um, yeah, it's, it's, it's been tough. We'll see what happens.
0: Well, we'll see what happens. I'm interested to see how the numbers break, whether Montgomery County, I see a lot of Democrats coming out of Montgomery County. But I also see that people are still going to do go the traditional route, vote on the election yeah. day and what we know is that republicans show up on election day uh, that's just data that approves that and i think that i think that you'll see the race can, and if whoever wins um and let's just say that ben jealous wins there is that there is a possibility that he wins mm-hmm. and the polls were wrong and that everybody was wrong and that the the wave was underreported uh that voters who plan to go out and vote um, were not poll I mean I've never been part of a poll um, but let's say that Ben jealous wins um, you know, what is his governing strategy? How will he quickly form a government? He hasn't necessarily done anything to upset any portions of the the conventional party or anybody inside of the state government who knows state government, some of the bureaucrats, and I don't mean bureaucrats in a negative way that, uh, uh, uh Len, but I mean that in a, in a way that who, people who've been around state government, I think jealous would then quickly have access and begin to form his government. And you would see a lot of switcheroos and it probably among the legislature. Um, it happened when Larry Hogan became governor in 2014, my, my former state senator, Chris Shank, he 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 won re-election and then immediately he got plucked out and became uh, part of the Hogan administration. And then then thankfully Andy Andy Serafini was picked by the central committee to replace the great Chris Shank. And uh, then the ball kept rolling and rolling. And then you saw all these different people being plucked out of state government. Even legislators like the formidable Kelly Shoals up in District 4, who is now the, the DLLR secretary. Um, and uh, which, and by, speaking of –
1: Somebody is one of, the, one of the true bright lights in the Hogan administration. Uh, the oh, governor man. has really assembled a, a top-shelf cabinet, and it's been my privilege to work with just about all of them over these past four years. Well, Kelly's one of the She's trying to surround herself with good people as well.
0: Well I say this all the time. Keep an eye on Kelly shoals um in in twenty twenty two. The Republicans should strongly consider putting up Kelly Scholes in twenty twenty two. There's some there's gonna be candidates on both sides who are gonna be ready to step up, but Kelly is indeed one of the leaders that could easily jump into a gubernatorial election, alongside someone like Alan Kittleman who's up in a tough competition with Calvin Ball. What do you think is going to happen in Howard County, Lynn?
1: Well, it's interesting. I want to go back to some of these early voter turnout numbers, and we were talking about some of the variables that may or may not be driving some of the impressive turnout numbers that we've seen across the state. And it's instructive to me that within the, you know, within the, the metropolitan jurisdictions that comprise the big seven, you know, ball, you know, Baltimore County, Baltimore City, Howard, Prince George's, Montgomery, Anne Arundel, et cetera, that the the three jurisdictions that have experienced the the highest levels of – the highest increases uh, in, in turnout, election over election, 2018 as opposed to 2014, are those jurisdictions where we have competitive county executive races, Montgomery County, Howard County, Frederick County uh you know, in Frederick we have Jane Gardner and a by all accounts a very close uh competitive county executives race um with kathy atzali uh, howard um, i'm hearing that's a very close race I'm hearing that as a toss up right now uh what what's interesting though ryan in in that race as well as in the in the Anne Arundel county uh executives race between incumbent Steve Shue and challenger Stuart Pittman is that you do have a wide disparity in the polling results. And I think what you're seeing here is that different pollsters are using very different turnout models. You know, there's, a, there's a blue wave model, there's a blue trickle model, and then there's a very traditional midterm election model. And so um, there seems to be – it's notable this year – that there really does seem to be little consensus between pollsters uh, as to what's really going on within these jurisdictions uh, in some of these countywide races. I've, I've heard, them, I've heard I've, for example, one poll that has I, I heard that has Kilman up by close to double digits just this yeah, evening. I, I, I heard about another poll that, uh, that has Calvin Ball up, but within the margin of error. And I I think the one variable that people are are within the business are struggling to wrap their minds around uh, is what kind of turnout model should we be relying upon when we try to forecast the outcome of some of these competitive races. Again, we just won't know until Tuesday night when the votes are aggregated and counted.
0: We won't know what's going to happen either until the final vote is tallied. Maybe even after some, especially here in the great Montgomery County, where there is for the first time a truly competitive county executive race between Nancy Florine, between Democrat Mark Elridge and Republican Robin Ficker. There has been numerous stories written about this race, whether Robin Ficker, the Republican, the longtime <laughs> the longtime agitator, someone who will go out and run for any office every cycle, and puts his name on a ballot for the last thirty-some years, who served a single term in the House of Delegates back in the seventies, could Robin Ficker ultimately uh, be the recipient of a split vote between Mark Alridge and Nancy Florine? Florine, who's running as a as a center, more as a moderate than the Tacoma Park leftist Mark Elrich. What happens? Do the Democrats rally around their candidate? If so it seems. Or does Nancy Florine benefit from the moderate upcounty vote? Because let me tell you, I know signs don't vote, but if they did, Nancy Florine would be winning.
1: I don't live in Montgomery County. Uh, I do. I, I do have a uh, you know an accumulated. Over 20 years, uh, a sense of the electorate in Montgomery County, and I think that of the of the big seven jurisdictions that we've talked about, I don't believe there is any that is more rooted within the principles and the routine of the two-party system as Montgomery County. It is a it is a very institutional place. You do have you do have an independent you do have an independent voting base, but I, I what we found over the course of time is that these aren't um, Philosophical independence, so much as there are people who choose as a matter of professional strategy to register as unaffiliated so that they stand a better chance at surviving uh, changes in partisan control uh, at the federal level if they work for the federal government, be be it for a congressional committee or somewhere within the executive branch. Um, I think Council Member Florine is running a highly competitive race. Ultimately, I think we're going to. I, I think Mark Elrich wins that race, and I don't believe it's going to be that close. Well, I, I think you wrong. I mean, if you're there. I'm not. I, I mean, I'm just a little league coach over here in Talbot County, so I'm going to rely on my my county <laughs> friends uh, and prognosticators like you.
0: It's hard to tell. It's hard to tell what level of support Nancy Florine has after she became a registered independent and registered on the last day to actually jump in as an independent and then put together a quick campaign. But I will tell you that she hired one of the smartest guys in state politics, and his name is Rich Parsons, and he's running her campaign. I've known Rich for a short period of time, and Rich and I have personally mixed it up. We started off on the wrong foot when he was working for David Trone, and we didn't like each other. Then we got together and had a great conversation, and I have nothing but respect for the man and have picked his brain left and right, and let me tell you, he's a smart guy. He knows politics. He's been around, and he knows policy. He knows transportation policy, and he's running one hell of a campaign for fluorine. and if, if flooring pulls it out, she's going to owe it to Rich for assembling you know, one of the last – the strongest last-minute campaigns in the history of Montgomery County politics.
1: I'll say I'll say three very quick things about Rich, and I and I, I hope Rich is listening this evening. Uh, on you know, two of minor detail. Uh, first, I've known Rich for 25 years. I, I I knew him back when I first came into this business, and at the time he was serving as the executive director of the Maryland Democratic Party, when uh, when when Harry Hughes was the chairman, and then following that when Peter Krauser served as party chairman. You're right when you say that he is one of the smartest and most accomplished strategists within the party. Number two, I personally owe Rich an awful lot. Um, When I was Captain Kennedy Townsend's press secretary, as you might know, in 2002, and that race didn't turn out the way we had hoped, and I found myself looking for my next career move uh, in a real hurry. And Rich Parsons, uh, who was a former Board of Trade lobbyist, strongly recommended me, went to bat for me uh, for the vacant job of Maryland State um, lobbyist for the Greater Washington Board of Trade. And on the strength of his recommendation, I got that job. And it was two of the most satisfying years of my entire professional career. So you've picked his brain an awful lot. I owe Rich um, uh, an immeasurable, uh, um, I owe Rich immeasurably for where I am today. Having said all that, I can see where the two of you would mix it up because there's, there are very few people who are more capable of snatching disagreement from the jaws of consensus than Rich Parsons. Uh, I think the man, like the two of us, I think the man likes to argue for the sake of arguing. I think he, get, I think he gets energized by it. And some of the most enjoyable days I've had are sitting in a lunch counter at a tavern arguing about the 270 interchange or the Springfield mixing bowl or the ICC with Rich Parsons. He's an absolute delight, and if anyone can if anyone can pull off the impossible dream in Montgomery County, it might be Rich. We'll see. No. I don't think it's going to happen, but I, but uh, but I, it looks like Rich is running. He's doing the best he can. He's doing amazing work with the situation he's been given.
0: I I agree on all fronts. And Rich, like I said, we started off on the wrong foot, which is a great hybrid to talk about David Trone now and the CD6 race. But Rich and I, I have nothing but respect for the man and a man who anybody who can, if you start out in a not so good relationship and you have some contention and there's some friction and then somebody who can come together, shake your hand and say, he said to me face, face to face, and I don't think he'll mind if I, if I share this, even though it was a personal moment because I think Rich is that kind of guy. He said, I was really wrong about you, Ryan. I I had you pegged for somebody else. And he said, man, uh, what what a conversation will do to change a relationship. And that's me. I I think that this social media stuff, Lynn, people don't get to know the real people behind that keyboard. And if you sat down, I guarantee you, even christina Gensberg, there's there is some good and decent in her, and if we sat down and talk to her and one on one, I bet we would probably come away from a conversation thinking something a little bit different. That's why I beg people to sit down and have a real conversation, even if it's over the phone because the social media stuff it i I've, I've written some true ugliness, but when people get face to face, everything changes everything changes you
1: know you never. Know, You know who's a great example of that is our mutual friend, Mark McLaurin. Now, Mark, uh, obviously uh, an SEIU lobbyist, very well-known political figure in in and around Maryland. Uh, We had some monumental battles on social media, and we'd go at it hammer and tong, as I know the two of you have over time. Uh, But a few months ago, we actually decided to um, give each other a chance. We sat down for lunch in Annapolis on Sine Dive. And um, I learned a lot about him, and I think he learned a lot about where I was coming from. And yeah. we don't agree on everything, but we at least have the basis for a good conversation, and we respect one another. And I'd like to think that we've become friends over the over the course of the past few months. I don't wow. think that is unusual. Um, we'll still have our battles, you know. But you're <laughs> right. The point you're making. Just sit down and talk to people. Get out from behind the keyboard or behind the smart talk it through.
0: Well, I see, I see people out uh, all the time who respond so much differently than they are and as they take on an online persona. They're different people. And when I talk to people in person, I come away almost 95, 98% of the time saying, you know what, there's some real redeeming qualities there. I like this person. And I, I, I'm hard-pressed to find, other than the, the real hardcore extremes, that there's good in everybody. People get involved in politics for uh, various different reasons, and to find out those reasons is what I truly respect about people. And something happened in their life that was pivotal that led them to want to get involved in one aspect of politics, whether it be on the campaign side or the policy side or the press side. Uh, it's, it all matters. And learning about people's stories is what I try to do, through this show, and if that is the one thing that I can do, is that I know how to tell a story and at least shape it, and talk to people, and have this open forum where anybody can come on, even if you have disagreements. Hell, Lynn, I had I had Mark McLaren on. I don't agree with Mark McLaurin on virtually anything. I mean, maybe some things. And he and I have very different styles. I invited him on the show. He had a great conversation. And he's a much different guy yeah, when you talk. To him.
1: He's a fun guy.
0: He is a fun guy. He's a fun guy who mixes it up online, but if you get him in a conversation, he's a really nice guy.
1: So, if Christina, Gins- so Christina if you are tuned in this evening to a minor detail, if you're listening, um, the door is open. The invitation is hereby extended. The three of us are going to go to maybe Denizen's Brewing or uh, the, the, the uh, craft brewery of your choice. And who knows what kind of what kind of points we can find consensus upon over a couple of boho chicks or whatever uh, other IPAs or stouts happen to be on tap as we head into the cold winter months.
0: If there's um, one person wonder- who can – I was going to say, Lynn, if there's one person who can bring two, two or three people together, that's Julie Verratti, and I'm proud of her for everything she's accomplished with Denison's. How
1: about it? And you know she's getting ready to, to open up a, another denizens uh, in in Riverdale, over in Prince George's County, and you know the the Renaissance of uh, the US One Quarter and the Kenilworth Avenue Quarter, uh, which it's so exciting to see what's happening there. This is just an, this is just another milestone in that progress, and I think she's going to do amazing things over there, Julie. If you're listening, hats off to both you and Emily for. Everything you've done, the good paying jobs, the economic investment,
0: mm. the
1: way in which you get back to the community so dependably, we love you and we're proud of you
0: yeah she's she's become a close friend of mine. I have nothing but respect for her, and I thought that she is one of the most interesting people and up and coming people in Maryland politics. I hope she runs for for an office again. She's one of the real the realest people I've ever met and interviewed in politics and what I love about her is she is not afraid to be who she is and she t- tells the truth and I I admire that about her. So, Julie, um anytime I'll tell you what Lynn, you and I should do a special show at Denison's and and get a good audience and and drink some beers and that that'd be a lot of fun. That'd be a lot of fun. Just help
1: you know, you don't have to twist my arm. Just tell me where and when to be there, buddy. I'm there. Hey, before we run out of time, I do want to go back to a point you were talking about Kelly Schultz earlier, and you were talking about her viability as a potential uh, Republican gubernatorial contender in 2022. And, you know, we've seen this before where some some high-profile county executives who are thought to be on the precipice of a statewide gubernatorial run they end up losing their re-election campaigns, and uh, and the field, a uh, field that was originally anticipated to be highly clogged, all of a sudden becomes an, an open lane for a an unexpected candidate. And I'm I'm thinking back to 1990 on the Democratic side when you had some high wattage political stars like Dennis Rasmussen, the Baltimore County Executive. Liz Bobo, the Howard County executive, Sid Kramer, the the father of Rona and Ben Kramer, uh, all of whom were believed to be contemplating gubernatorial runs. All three of them lost their respective reelection campaigns in 1990 for very different reasons. The growth issue was, was front and center among them if memory serves correctly. And that, and that really um, created an open lane that ultimately, little-known Prince George's County Executive Paris Glendening uh, go through en route to the nomination and the governorship. And so it does happen. I mean, we could see where if things don't go well for Mr. Shue or Mr. Kittleman next week, and who knows what's going to happen. All of a sudden, a party that was thought to have a really deep bench could all of a sudden be looking around for a standard-bearer, and who knows? Someone someone like a Kelly Schultz could be poised. Um, That's the magic of politics. You just never – you can't tell from one year to the next.
0: Yeah. Well, let me say this. I'm excited to see what happens next Tuesday as – any maryland politico who is closely following these election results and i think we're going to see some wild changes on the national front but a couple of races that we have yet to mention is the attorney general's race and what i'm hearing is that the republicans have are they are they are revved up about craig wolf he is a he he talk about another qualified capable smart guy i haven't had an opportunity to interview him but I will tell you that I think that he could really bring a fight to Brian Frosch, who probably thought this race was going to be maybe a little bit easier. And I'm glad to see that there is a, a real race between those two.
1: Well, you know, there's, and you know it's a competitive race because all you have to do is just turn on the TV and you can see the size of, of, of particularly in the Baltimore market where you can where where, um, where media is much cheaper to buy you can see the size of uh, of the attorney general's uh, you know, TV ad buy. And according to his last campaign finance report that was released for public review um, just a few days ago, uh, you know, he spent upwards of a million dollars in this race. Um, so the polls show that it's a it's a competitive race. And to Brian's credit, he, he's he's not he's not. Um, He's not avoiding it. He's, he's embracing the situation he's in, and he's treating it like the competitive race that it is. I ultimately think Brian's going to win, and I don't think it's going to be that close, but you're right. Craig Wolf is a highly credible person who has, um, who has cultivated a message that resonates with a significant portion not only of Republican voters but also uh, independents and even Democrats who are very concerned about what's happening with, with violent crime opioid abuse, um, uh, you know, heroin, and some of the other uh, public safety challenges we have. And he has really made, it generated some political traction by saying Brian Frosch is focused on the wrong priorities. It really, that raises as much a referendum on what role and responsibility is of the attorney general as it is anything else. Craig seems to be running uh, as a super state's attorney, Brian sees it uh, sees the office as a as a check on the excesses of the Trump administration, and as a platform for consumer protections. We'll see what the voters have to say.
0: And another race that amazingly was under talked about was not talked about, I think, nearly enough is the race, the U.S. Senate race. Uh, Ben Cardin, who is sailing to reelection without even an inkling of concern. And I'm not to say that Tony Campbell's not a good candidate because look, he's an honorable guy. He served our country. He's a good man, but he doesn't have any money. He has no virtually no support. Ben Cardin should probably win upwards of sixty five to seventy percent of the vote.
1: Yeah, you know the race uh, the, the race I have to mention before we signed off, and I know our time is drawing near Jesse Colvin down in Maryland's first congressional district i it's an uphill climb because because of the partisan split in that district It is such a deep red district, but this young man a uh, an army veteran, a young guy um, is for a first time political candidate with a young family, beautiful wife, he is running a magnificent race. He has pitched as, as close to the perfect game as you could imagine in that type of district given the natural odds. I don't, I don't know if it's going to be enough, but he has put Andy Harris on notice. Uh, he, has, he has energized a previously more Democratic base down in the first district, and I would hope that if Tuesday comes up short, I would hope that Wednesday morning would be the start of Jesse Colvin's 2020 campaign. He is an impressive guy. And if he is the future of Democratic Party politics, yeah. then I'm feeling very, very good about the future of our party.
0: Well, and I think that you have to take a look, too, at David Trone's election and between Ami Hober, his race between Amy Hober, rather, and Nate Silver has – is, is Trone winning by 99%. Um, I don't know how the election is going to turn out, but I know that Mr. Trone has personally invested a lot of his own fortune into this race. And I think it's going to be a race where it's going to come down to turnout and it's going to come down to uh, the, 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 the Southern portion of the district or the Eastern uh, portion of the district here in Montgomery County, they're going to turn out, they're going to turn out big. So I got to tell you, I I think it's David Trones to lose, but we'll see what happens.
1: So where are you going to be on election night, Ryan?
0: I'm going to be exactly where I am here, sitting in my chair, down in my office, and I'm going to be hosting a panel of six people, and I can break that news tonight that I'm I'm having six different people whom you probably know, um, and we're going to start at 9 o'clock and we're going to talk about the election results, like we did at wet city in real time. And people can tune in. They could listen to the show. We're going to go until 11 o'clock. We're going to probably break news. It's going to be a blast. And I'm going to, uh, so coming on that night is, uh, Katie Nash, um, Jason. Oh Delizio, yeah. Jason Delizio, uh, Mark McLaurin's coming on. Uh, we have our, my 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 one of my most favorite people in the entire world, Myla Johns, is coming on. Um, oh my then, god! Yeah, and uh, let's see who else we have. Amy Frieder, who was a former District 15 Democratic candidate, um, and somebody who has really put her her all into this race, and Sakab Ali, who was a former state delegate in in uh, in Montgomery County in District 39. So it's going to be one heck of a diverse panel—people who have different opinions on virtually everything—and we're going to slice and dice the election results, and we're going to break news. So we're going to have a lot of fun, and I, I'm hoping people tune into the show, Lynn, and uh, you know, listen, please.
1: Boy, talk about an assemblage of intellectual firepower! I. Uh, I cannot wait. I can't. I can't wait to, to tune in. Listen, I'll be over in Tacoma Park with uh, the comptroller watching uh, watching returns come in. If uh, if you're so inclined and you have a moment or two to spare, I might uh, see if the comptroller could give you a call just to uh, check in and wish you well and thank you for your hard work this election cycle. Well, the,
0: the comptroller has an uh, a standing spot here on a minor detail as well as Lynn Foxwell. Lynn this was fun tonight. We had an opportunity to mix it up and talk about what's really going on. Um I'm going to I'm going to keep paying close attention. Who knows what could break in the last couple of days, but I will say this to anybody who's listening if you were a candidate who ran for office or a volunteer who went out and knocked the doors and waved the signs and mailed the postcards and spent more time away from your family than um, then you realize, thank you from the bottom of our hearts, because this is what makes our democracy strong and functioning. Amen. And this is, what, this is what we will take. This is what Maryland's all about. We are people-powered. I, I believe in my heart of hearts that we are the, the finest state in the union. We have the, the, the some extraordinary talented people who are running in state politics. And anybody who has ever put their name on a ballot understand this, that it is not an easy task. It's hard. You get incoming fire. People judge you immediately. And if you decide to run for office, you have earned my respect. I may not agree with you, but it takes a lot of courage and gumption to put your name onto a ballot. So. Amen.
1: I couldn't say it myself, Ryan. Well, thanks for the opportunity, pal. I'm grateful for it.
0: Yes, sir. Well, thanks, Lynn. Thanks for spending an hour with us tonight, and uh, I'm sure you and I will catch up here soon. Thanks, Lynn. Appreciate your time. You- You got it, pal. Good night. All righty. Good night. Friends, that was uh, Lynn Foxwell, who is the comptroller of Maryland's chief of staff, one of my closest and dear friends, who I I, I love the guy. And, Lynn, you're just a true inspiration. So not to gush over Lynn, but uh, I think he's just one of the the finest in Maryland politics. So with that, stay tuned to uh, an election night forecast of uh, everything that's happening in the state of Maryland. We'll talk about some national races as well. And these two, those two hours will go by quickly. We'll break some news. So I will be live on election night at 9 o'clock p.m. until 11. And as you're watching the returns flow in and keeping an I on the state board of elections website and hitting that refresh button about 1500 times. You can also tune into a minor detail radio podcast at blog talk, slash a minor detail and stay tuned to a minor com. That's my Maryland news and politics website. And like I said, we have plenty of promising, promising things to happen in 2019. I got some things up my sleeve that, um, just might surprise some people. So just stay tuned. With that, I appreciate your time. I appreciate your listener, listenership. And it's time to go to bed. And it's time. And if you haven't voted, get out and vote. You know where your early voting center is or you should be. And if you don't, you can just Google it and show up to vote. Tomorrow's the last day. Thank you, everybody, for listening. My name is Ryan Miner. This is a Miner Detail radio podcast.